the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Literally means second law. Indeed, you have a duplication of the Decalogue. The word Decalogue means ten words. And when we find the expression, the Ten Commandments, in uh, three times in the Old Testament, the word commandments is actually the Hebrew word words. A word is a message. That's the idea, ten words. But the Bible does refer to them as commandments. Remember, Jesus said, keep my commandments. So you usually have the commandments or my commandments. But again, the expression, the ten commandments, is literally all three times, Exodus 34 and twice in Deuteronomy, chapters 4 and 10, I believe, it's, it's the uh, actual Hebrew uh, words, Deborim. And interestingly, that's what the Hebrew title of Deuteronomy is. In the Hebrew Old Testament, the titles were usually taken from the first few words of the book. And the first few words of Deuteronomy are, These be the words which Moses spake. And so the word words is Deborim. So the Hebrews call this book Deborim. But notice, basically the whole book, words which Moses spake. So it's a whole sermon. So look at how many chapters we have in Deuteronomy. How long would it take us to read 34 chapters this morning? We'd have to uh, pause for lunch if, if we read, if, if this was read in our hearing, the whole book. But again, Moses is 120 years old and he's about ready to pass and he didn't lose one ounce of strength. The Bible said he had, and he also didn't need glasses because it says that his eyes had not dimmed. Uh, wouldn't that be nice to not have to wear glasses? Amen. And uh, one, of those, one of these days, you know, not only will it be, there will be no more cemeteries in the new heavens and the new earth, there won't be any optometrists either. <laughs> so I would like us to, to consider the fact that the, the ten words are repeated this is a, 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 a summary of all of God's uh, will for our lives. Chapter 5 of Deuteronomy. Notice, it's been 40 years since God spoke the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai. Remember, recorded in Exodus 20, the Lord himself spoke from the top of the mountain and it just resounded. Two million people could hear God recite the Ten Commandments. And as well, there was lightning and thunder and uh, noise of a trumpet. It was just an amazing display of God's power and glory. And uh, he, he counts these words so important that he spoke them himself. And he also, the Bible tells us, wrote them on tablets of stone with his own finger. Of course, we understand God doesn't have a body like we have but he can certainly write on tablets of stone without a literal finger. This is who God is. So Luke, or Deuteronomy chapter 5, 
Moses reiterates these. God does not speak these again from heaven. But Moses must have spoke these from memory or if they had made copies other than the two tablets of stone. Remember, Moses smashed the tables that God had made and God told him to hew two more tablets. And then... Um, I believe it says God wrote on those second tablets as well. And uh, those were placed in the Ark of the Covenant. And so they didn't have those to look at because no one could open the Ark of the Covenant. Any, so it's been, it had been uh, 40 years since those second set of tablets were put in the box with a lid on top of it and no one could open that lid. And uh, so Moses, perhaps verbatim, could quote these commandments. I would encourage us to have plaques in our homes. We have the Ten Commandments plaque in the basement here. But to memorize these ten words, they're very important in revealing God's character and also God's will for our lives. But also as we place the the Deuteronomy um, Decalogue side by side with Exodus, see see if you can discover any differences and similarities simultaneously. Deuteronomy chapter 5, and uh, we'll begin with verse 4. The Lord talked with you face to face in the mountain out of the midst of the fire. I stood between the Lord and you at that time to show you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid by reason of the fire and went not up into the mountain, saying... God speaking. Of course, Moses now is just reiterating. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So he's saying, I'm the one that has delivered you from the bondage of Egypt, picturing the bondage of sin. So the idea is, therefore, this is what, these are my rights. This is what I want you to consider to do. Thou shalt have none other gods before me. Thou shalt not make thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the waters beneath the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thine ox, nor thine ass, nor any of thy cattle, nor the stranger that is within thy gates, that thy manservant and thy maidservant may rest as well as thou. And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. Honor thy father and thy mother as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, 
that thy days may be prolonged, and that it may, that it may go well with thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, neither shalt thou commit adultery, thou shalt not, neither shalt thou steal, neither shalt thou bear false witness against thy neighbor, neither shalt thou desire thy neighbor's wife, neither shalt thou covet thy neighbor's house, nor, uh, I'm sorry, his field, or his manservant, or his maidservant, his ox, or his ass, or anything that is thy neighbor's. These words the Lord spake unto all your assembly in the mountain out of the midst of the fire, of the cloud and of the thick darkness, with a great voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them in two tables of stone, and he delivered them unto me. Deuteronomy is known for other um, features as well. Christology, the study of Christ, uh, a prophet like unto Moses will be raised up among you. So we find Christ in every book of the Bible, but Christ in Deuteronomy as the prophet like unto Moses. You find that the prophecy really of the the curse of the cross. Chapter 21, Cursed is everyone that hangeth or is impaled to a tree. It wasn't referring to a rope. It was referring to people who were impaled to trees. And you also find the popular expression, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But perhaps the most uh, notable one feature is the fact that Deuteronomy repeats the ten words of the Lord that God, remember, spoke 40 years earlier at Mount Sinai. Now they're in the, in the plains of Moab and they're re ready to take the promised land and move in where they dwell today. I would like us just to consider some thoughts. Why is there the duplication of the Decalogue? Why is there specifically a repeat of the Ten Commandments? Well, obviously, we would read between the lines and say they're very important since the Lord repeated them here through Moses. Moses felt the need to repeat that he was giving the most important commandments of God. And you remember, in the Old Testament, you have two commandments that summarize all ten. We considered a couple weeks ago the greatest commandment from the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul and might. And uh, that summarizes the first few commandments that reveal our relationship with God. And then in earlier in Leviticus, we read, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And that covers the commandments, later commandments, our relationship with one another, with, with man. And we know that they're the summary of the Ten Commandments, those two, because Jesus is the one that 
that gives us those words in the New Testament. Remember, the man came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? What's the first commandment, the chiefest one? And Jesus said, thou shalt uh, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul and mind and strength. And then he says, the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And Paul says that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself summarizes the commandments. And you can see that in chapter 13 of Romans. So the Lord is kind to us. He gives us 10, one for each finger. Easier to remember, right? But then he also gives us two. The two commandments that summarize the 10 give us the motivation for obedience. The motivation is love. People often will say, God in the Old Testament is a God of wrath and the God of the New Testament is a God of love. Well, we realize that in both Testaments, God is a God of love and a God of wrath. But in the New Testament, it ratchets it up, ratchets it up, both his love and his wrath of justice. Remember, Jesus spoke about hell being a place where there's uh, gnashing of teeth and, and uh, where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. And so he does speak of God's wrath and he says, fear him that can kill the body and after that he can also cast, uh, kill, kill the body and also cast the soul into hell. But of course Christ shows great love and that he wept over the city and was burdened for the souls of men. And how could we not feel that Christ was not showing great love when he gave himself and died at Calvary? Actually, Christ was showing the wrath of God and the love of God by dying at Mount Calvary. Showed the wrath of God that God wouldn't even spare his own son. Our sins were debited to him. And if anyone would be spared as a, as a sinner from wrath, would not have been Christ. He wasn't a sinner. He was sin offering. But God uh, poured out his wrath on Jesus. There's the wrath of God. But the love of God, that God would ordain that his own son would take our place. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave him up. Gave him up to die in our place. What love. And so as we place these side by side, what can we learn? Well, last week, was part one, just briefly, we notice they're exactly the same in substance and order. There's nothing of meaning added or subtracted. There's no replacements. There's no additions. There's no 11th commandment today. They're exactly the same in meaning and thought. Again, there are 10 words, 10 messages that have meanings and no one needs to unravel any mysteries when you read, don't have any other gods than me, or don't lie, or don't steal. Little children can understand the Ten Commandments. Very simple. We need it, don't we? God is clear. Exactly the same in substance. Secondly, notice again their commandments. Even though, yes, they're words, he does call them my commandments. 
So they're all in the form of an imperative, not suggestions. He doesn't say you may have, you may, you, you may not have, or you may tell the truth, or you may not. He says thou shalt not, right? So he's showing his authority. And he tells us, look, I'm the one that delivered you from Egypt. Do not I have the right? See, the Ten Commandments are a revelation of God's rights. I have the right to tell you what my will is for you, or you would be in hell. I'm the one that delivered you from the slavery of Egypt, which is a narrative, a grand narrative for our slavery from sin. And he says, I'm the one that delivered you. Don't I have the right then to tell you what pleases me and what you should or shouldn't do? It really is a revelation of God's authority. And yesterday at the graveside, I, I spoke from John 5, 24, he that heareth my word and believeth hath everlasting life. But I, my, I stress three critical, critical points for our salvation. The first was simply, we got to listen. If we don't hear or listen, we're not going to believe and not going to receive eternal life. And I said, you know, there are many that will not listen, but it's critical for us to s- subject ourselves to the authority of God's word if we're going to be saved and have any hope of eternal life. And the Lord is saying, I am your savior from Egypt. Place yourself under my authority. God didn't have to deliver Israel from Egypt. He could have let them be slaves in that land forever. He didn't have to save you and me. Our our fall into sin did not God's arm. Remember, the angels fell and there's no salvation for them. God did not will the salvation of any fallen angel. One third of the angels fell. That speaks to me of God's grace that he didn't allow two thirds of the angels to fall. But there's no salvation for them. Hebrews tells us that Jesus didn't take the nature of angels. And so when Adam fell, and all of us were in Adam, when we fell, God had no, he, God was not forced to save us. He did it because he wanted to. He loved us. And therefore, we should say, thank you, Lord. What wilt thou have me to do? Amen. Remember when the Lord struck down Paul when he was going to Damascus to arrest Christians and imprison them and kill them? He struck him down, you remember, and Paul said, you know, who art thou, Lord? I'm Jesus. Paul thought Jesus was an imposter. And and then Paul says, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He realizes that Jesus is his authority. He's just struck him down with blindness. And he realizes that his life is in the hands of the one who's speaking to him. And he says, what's the natural reaction? What wilt thou have me to do? What's the natural reaction of you and me when the Lord saves us from sin and from hell? What wilt thou have me to do? And the 10 words are God's answer to what wilt thou have me to do. They're the divine rights of God. But I like what Daniel Block said, and we have to keep this in mind. This is also Israel's Bill of Rights. And I like what he said. It's the Bill of Rights of the next person. 
because we're told to not lie to the next person. It's not just about us individually. It's you know, don't lie to your neighbor. Don't lust your neighbor's things. Don't kill your neighbor, right? Honor your father and mother, your neighbor. So it's a concern for our, the next person, not just us. It's not just about me. It's about loving my neighbor. Now, of course, what did Jesus say? Love your neighbor as yourself. No man, no man ever yet hated his own body, but nurtures and cherishes it. But the point is that are we concerned about our neighbor? That's what true love is, unselfishness. So they are commandments referring to God's authority. Thirdly, that's a renewal of the covenant. We've got to see salvation as a covenant relationship, just like marriage is a covenant relationship. It's not just a loose association of two people. It's a covenant that is strong in, 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 uh, in, its, in its bond and in its, in its uh, association. And the Lord said this, for instance, in chapter 5 and verse 2. Moses says this is a renewal of the covenant, and this is kind of your, your, the, the, the ring of the Christian to God. Is, is our, this is our badge. The Ten Commandments are our badge, is our badge. Now, we, we wear things that, show, that are badges of our relationships here, like a ring or a necklace. Some societies don't use rings for marriage. They use some other badge. But it's a reminder that it's a covenant relationship. It might be, you know, you're on a team and you wear a certain uniform um, and it shows you that you're in a covenant with your teammate. You know, we all have these covenant relationships, but especially marriage is a covenant relationship. But salvation is a marriage, is a covenant relationship. It's like a marriage. Now, the Lord doesn't tell us to wear rings, but it's interesting, he does tell us to be baptized and to, have, and to come to the Lord's table. Those are like the believer's ring as far as our relationship to God. And, you know, we have a contract, for instance, at marriage that we sign. Well, the contract between God and his people was the ten words. And we often, again, forget that it's, salvation is a covenant relationship. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's kind of, kind of like the, the, the spouse that says, if you love me, you'll keep... Your command, the commandments that we made together at our at our uh, wedding, that will 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 be for poorer, for richer, and in, in sickness and in health and so on until death do us part. And this is what we're saying one to another. The Lord is saying to us, "This is my covenant to you. I'll be your God. I've delivered you from sin, and I promise you, I will keep my covenant." my end of the covenant, and he's saying, I want you to keep your end of the covenant. Of course, how often we have to say, Lord, I've broken my covenant over and over again in, in thought, word, and deed. I've not, I've not loved you like I should. I haven't worshipped you with my whole heart as I should. And so it's a, rela- it's a relationship of salvation. We show our love to the Lord by resisting any disobedience to God's word. Fourthly, ten words where God showed special concern by the dramatic um, show that he gave it at Mount Sinai. There was an audio, visual, and verbal demonstration of God's 
special concern for these words. In the special audio, there was thunder, and there was actually God's booming voice. Can you imagine what it must have been? Can you imagine someone speaking from the top of a mountain with a, with a, with a sound that two million people at the bottom of the mountain can listen to? As I said last week, that, that um, the evangelist George Whitfield had such a booming voice that, that Franklin, what's his first name? Uh, Benjamin Franklin uh, just measured out the, 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 uh, the blocks on, the, on the, uh, the square there in Philadelphia. He, he measured them out and went until he couldn't hear uh, the evangelist George Whitfield. And he realized it's, it was so, it was like thousands of people could hear before he finally lost any, any uh, audio. But God spoke from Mount, the top of Mount Sinai and two million people heard. Just, we, we just can read over that. But the Lord did this to show these are special words. All his words are special, but these are special the visual, remember, there was lightning. There was, there was the, the fact that he wrote on the commandments with his own finger. And the verbal, he spoke words. So this is God saying, this is my business. My booming voice, my proverbial finger, and my providential fire. God's special concern. Fifthly, notice the graphic layout. Again, two tablets of stone. And they're written on the front and the back, the Bible says, so God's word is thorough. You can't squeeze anything in, in, in the middle. You can't add anything. There wasn't any space. God was saying it's thorough, it's complete. You don't need to add to it or take away from it. And they were on stones to show that they were permanent in nature. He told Moses to hew two stones like the, like the others. Well, we see the universality of the ten words in, in the fact that there were some informative updates. Again, Moses doesn't add to the meaning, but he does update them, if you will, which tells us that um, the ten words are life as it is. It's not just back there 40 years ago. For instance, you notice that in the tenth or in the tenth commandment, in Exodus it says, "Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's um, house," and then thou shalt covet thy neighbor's wife. And so, some people will say, "Why would the house be before the wife?" And, and uh, I believe wrongly because they would say it's because the wife was property of 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 people. No, that's not. I think there's, a, there's a, just a simple thought there. You better have a place for the wife to, to, to live before you marry her. So you know, there's, the, there's, that, there's that realization that the house needs to be prepared. And, and, uh, but in, notice in Deuteronomy, the wife comes first. Thou shalt not desire thy neighbor's wife nor his house. So again, the Lord shows that the wife is not merely property is a human being made in the image of God. And in the land that they're going into, they're going to have houses. And they're going to provide for 
their newlyweds. And then throughout this early, these early chapters, it also tells us that at Mount Sinai, they saw no pictures. They saw no similitudes. You'll see this in chapters 4, verse 12, verse 15, and verse 16. Um, in other words, the Lord was saying, you saw no images. He's saying, don't make images of me, whether it be from heaven or earth or under the earth, fish or beasts or man. God's invisible. We sang, you know, invisible, immortal, the only wise God. And God is saying, I don't want you to have crutches of me. I, I don't want you to think that I need a picture in order to really think about God. We need to realize God is invisible and we're to worship him as the living and true God and not dream up images and pictures as if that's going to help us in order to uh, approach God. He wants us to worship him, as, as Jesus said, in spirit and in truth, and not with these man-made helps. And notice regarding the fourth commandment, in Exodus, it refers back to creation. He says, uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And uh, he goes on to say, um, in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. So he goes back to creation, which tells us that he, he's our creator, and so we're to obey him, not just because you know, he, he's our redeemer, but first of all, those who aren't saved have God as their creator. So these words are not just for Christians. These words for all, are for all creatures, not just for Christians, believers. God takes us back to creation. But notice in Deuteronomy, he adds Exodus. You see that in Deuteronomy 5? He said, uh, verse 14, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. And he goes on to say that you're responsible for your children and for your for your cattle and for the, the strangers that come through your gates, your servants as well. Notice he says, remember that you were a servant in the land of Egypt. See how he adds ex, the exodus to the fourth commandment, a reason to keep the Sabbath holy. So he, he, he talks about the six days you shall labor. He still goes back to Genesis, but he goes back to Exodus now. So he's not only saying you, will, you keep the Sabbath holy because I'm your creator, but you keep the Sabbath holy because I'm your redeemer. So salvation is, is added as a reason for obedience. In other words, God is saying, if you're my creature and if you're my Christian believer, these are reasons to keep the Sabbath holy. So we have a double reason. We're his creatures and we're his redeemed people. But people will say, well, this is just for the Christian. The Bible is just for Christians. But again, the Ten Commandments, he says, remember that I created in six days and rested the seven. He's talking to all his creatures, not just, first of all, to Christians. And so Moses is updating these Ten Commandments, showing us that they're not just for the Jew. They're for all of us. And we would say, how would they be updated today? 
Well, Moses updated them. You were a servant in the land of Egypt and the Lord brought you out. What would it be today? You were lost in your sin. And I have delivered you from the slavery of sin. I have caused you to be born again. I have caused you to have eternal life. Therefore, you shall keep the Sabbath holy. So you see how, how it tells us, it applies to life as it is in every generation. So you see the universality of the 10 words of God. A double reason for you and me to obey God. We have been created by him and we have been saved by him. And that shows us such love for the Savior. The Ten, the ten Commandments are, are moral in nature. <clears throat> the suitability of them. What it means by more, the moral law is it's right and wrong. There's always, there are commandments that tell us about what's right and wrong. They're moral in nature. The correctness of them. It's never right to murder. It's always right to promote the life of your neighbor. It's never right to worship other gods. Always right to worship the true God. This is the idea here. Every commandment is moral in nature. That wasn't the case in the civil and ceremonial laws. They were a theocracy. They had certain civil laws as a theocracy about you know, their kings and their priests and their, and their, uh, their the civil laws about... Um, capital punishment for many other things than, than just capital punishment for murder. But once the nation uh, evaporated and they were no longer a theocracy, the civil laws expired and the ceremonial laws became extinct. No longer do we offer sacrifices and have a priesthood that offers animal sacrifices. But the ten words are moral in nature they're archaic, but they're alive. There's no honorable burial to the Ten Commandments. Amen. I like what one man said that in the Old Testament, on the Lord's Day, people will say, well, all the commandments are moral, but the Fourth Commandment. The Fourth Commandment deals with time. How can that be moral? <laughs> it's, it's right. When, if God sets aside time for him, it's right. And if we violate his time, then it's wrong. It's just that we have the same principle. You know, your boss requires you to punch in and punch out, and he requires a certain time. And if he walks in and we're loafing, and it's not the, it's not the break time, he has a right. It's my time. It's, it's, it's a moral thing for us to do work when we are punched in, to, to, to give our neighbor, our boss, a worthy day of work so he can make money and so he can pay us. It's a moral thing. Same way with the Lord. People will say every day is holy to God, but there's the holiest day. And we'll say to each other, every day is special, but your birthday is, a, is especially special because it's your day for the year. Every day is, is, is a special day that we live, but you and I have special days that we call our birthdays. God's certainly worthy of every day of worship, but he says, I want one in seven especially given to me. Doesn't he have the right to do so? One man noticed that in, on the Lord's day in the Old Testament, prophets would make circuit. They were like circuit riders 
going to different towns. Remember the one uh, prophet, Elisha, was in a certain town. They said, is the, uh, is the prophet here today? They said, yes, he's made his circuit. He's in town. So it's interesting. And, you know, back in the day, well, I wasn't alive back then, but, you know, you still have circuit courts, by the way. You know, you've ever heard of circuit courts? Why do they call them circuit courts? Because the judges used to go on circuits from town to town to hold court. They were called circuit-riding judges. They still call it circuit courts. Well, in the old days, the little churches in all the different crannies, nooks and crannies of the mountains, didn't all have individual pastors. And so a man like Robert Sheffy would get on his horse and he'd travel to this church on Sunday morning and another church in the afternoon or another church in the evening and just exhausted himself. Whitfield did the same thing. Of course, many of the churches at Whitfield and Wesley rode toward, rode into, uh, had pastors, but they really wanted these evangelists to encourage the churches. And so we see that on the Lord's Day, on the Sabbath day, especially the prophets would make their circuits to see how the believers were doing in each of the cities. There were special assemblies on the Sabbath as revealed in Isaiah 1. There was the, uh, there's a, the psalm that we sang earlier, Psalm 92, speaks of enthusiastic thanksgiving. should be especially given on the Lord's Day. We should come with enthusiasm, with gratitude and praise and thanksgiving that God is worthy of our effort, of our preparation, of our hearts, of our love. And, you know, you try to get to bed as early as you can, so I'm not just yawning through the services, right? And we're, I mean, we try to do the best. I, I, I have felt, you know, just weak today, you know, ministering yesterday, having the burden of all those souls, and it just took its toll. I just prayed for strength, and, you know, we, we try to give the Lord our best, and we just exhaust ourselves to do so, and it, He's worthy he exhausted himself. He gave himself at Calvary. Isn't he worthy of our time, of our effort, of our heart, of our mind, of our thought? Oh, that God would help us to see the suitability of these commandments, that they're moral in nature. They're timeless, in other words. They're comprehensive. Every single word, message of these Ten Commandments have precepts and prohibitions. They cover all sins and all acts of righteousness. There's not a sin that you won't cover in one or more of the Ten Commandments. Throw it out. Throw any sin out. Drunkenness. Number six, thou shalt not kill. It kills yourself, right? Gluttony. Number six, we'll kill ourselves with our forks. So every sin is covered in the Ten Commandments. But of course, all eight, eight of the ten of them, eight, eight of the ten of them are in negative form. Why again? Why wasn't you know? Why wasn't number number uh, one? Thou shalt have me as your God. Why isn't number two? Worship me in spirit and in truth. Why isn't number three? Uh, bless his name. Why isn't number six? Thou shalt promote the, the the life of your neighbor. Why isn't number seven? Thou shalt guard the sanctity of your neighbor's soul and your neighbor's wife and your neighbor's possessions. Why is it number eight? Thou shalt uh, preserve the 
property of your neighbor? Why isn't number nine, speak the truth to your neighbor? Why isn't number 10, be content with your wages? Be content with what God gives you. Now, we find those in other places of Scripture. Paul says, them that steal, steal no more, but let him labor, working with his hands, not only that he might provide his own needs, but that he might give. So everybody who, who works should not just have the end of meeting our own needs, but of wanting to help meet the needs of others. And so it's amazing the comprehensive nature of these Ten Commandments. So every time you have a negative one, we find the positive somewhere in the Bible. Matter of fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13 and 10, 20, it says, swear by God's name. Don't take it in vain as the negative, but it says, swear by his name. He, doesn't, he wants us at court, in court to lay our hand on a Bible and say, I'm going to tell the truth and I, I, I make an oath. I swear to God that I will tell the truth. And what I'm saying is, God is my witness. If I lie in court, may God strike me for my lie. But also, when we make oaths at weddings with God as our witness, we make an oath, it's a wedding vow actually, that we're going to be faithful with God as my witness. And of course, every positive one has a negative. Honor thy father and mother is the positive, but the negative is also there. He that curseth his father or mother shall surely be put to death. There's the negative. And remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy is the positive, but it says in Nehemiah 13, what evil thing is this ye do and profane the Sabbath day? And may it not be said of us, which was falsely said of Jesus, John 9, 16, this man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. And so the amazing inferences of the precepts and the prohibitions of these 10 words is, showing the comprehensive nature of God's moral law. But let's also remember the spirituality of God's law. We are to keep these words out of love and not out of a robotic fear, showing mercy to thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. How could people say that the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath and not a God of love? You see what motivation he wants? To love me and keep my commandments. And Jesus goes on to say, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. This man was boasting the other day as I was seeking to witness to him, boasting of his fornicating relationship. And I said to him, that's the seventh commandment. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You don't love the Lord if you, if you live like that. And you live like that and boast about it. It's one thing if you're ignorant that it's sin. But once you know it's sin and you flaunt it, it shows not your love for God, it shows your hatred of God. It's the same motivation today. Jesus said, He that loveth me not keepeth not my saying. And finally, today you hear so much about the fact that the Ten Commandments are not repeated in the New Testament. 
that it's only the commandments of Jesus that apply today. Well, you often have a partial list of the Ten Commandments found in the New Testament. I would like to take just a few moments just for us to note this. If the Lord starts to quote a few of them, surely it's showing that all of them are still in vogue. Matthew 19, for instance. Matthew 19. Sorry, the, the exact verses are... are uh, 19, 18. Oh, thank you. Verse 18. Remember the man, the man comes to Jesus and says... Uh, but Jesus says, if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. And the man says, which one? And Jesus quotes some of them. He quotes number six, thou shalt not murder. Number seven, thou shalt commit adult, not commit adultery. Number eight, thou shalt not steal. Number nine, thou shalt bear false witness. Isn't it interesting he goes now back to five? He doesn't go from five to, to ten. He goes from six to nine, and then he turns back to five which shows, again, it's not so much the exact numeration. They're all together. They're all one chain. And then he uh, indicates that those commands he's just quoted are summarized by thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So that's why we say the five to ten deal with your relationship with your neighbor, where the first four deal with your love for God, especially your relationship for God with God. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. There are other places, but time doesn't allow me. Ephesians chapter 4. You're able to turn there with me. Now this is well after Christ has gone to heaven. Some people will say, well, your Matthew passage is before Jesus dies on the cross. But we believe the commandments don't apply after Jesus rose from the dead. Paul is speaking around 20 years or more after Jesus has gone to heaven. And what does, he, what does he do? He applies everyday life for the Christian with the 10 words. Be ye angry, but sin not. That's the sixth commandment. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Don't have the kind of wrath you want to kill your brother. How about the seventh commandment? Let him that stole steal no more, but let him rather labor with his hands the thing which is good that he may give to him that needs. So Paul is applying the ten words to their lives in Ephesus. These are Gentiles. These are not Jews. And then, of course, number 29, or verse 29 refers to our, our to immorality. Number seven, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth with that which is good to the use of edifying that it may give grace or minister grace to the hearers. So that applies to the number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. And then we read together in 1 Timothy chapter 1, but did you notice Paul was following the line of the commandments when he was writing to Timothy as he ministered in Ephesus? 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says in verse 8, Know that the law is good if a man uses it lawfully. Now, verse 9 does not mean that the, the, the law of God, the 
commandments are, is not at all useful for the righteous man. The word not made for a righteous man is it's not the same word is used of an axe is laid to the trees. It's not it's not a, a condemning force to the Christian. But he, notice how he calls he goes on to the ungodly, the unholy, the profane. That's the first few commandments, profaning God's name. Notice he goes into the second murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers. That includes number five, not honoring, you know, honoring your mother and father. And number six, don't murder them. Whoremongers is number seven. Defiling themselves with mankind, homosexuals, number seven. Men stealers, kidnappers, number eight. Liars, number nine. Do you see how Paul goes down the Ten Commandments in applying our lives in, in honoring the Lord, in, in, in living a sanctified life. He's using the ten words to guide believers in how we ought to live. And so God's words show us his character and his will. People will say, what about the Sabbath day? Well, Jesus defended it. Why would he defend something that was going to become extinct? In Matthew chapter 24, verse 20, it says, when the Romans come down and take Jerusalem, pray that your flight will not take place on the Sabbath day. That's 40 years after Jesus left the earth. Everybody says the Sabbath day ended when Jesus went to heaven. He's cautioning his believers. Pray that you won't have to flee Jerusalem when the Romans come on the Sabbath day. 40 years after he leaves earth. There's a Sabbath day still in A.D. 70. It's not nine commandments now. It's eight. And it can be a challenge. I remember Dr. McCullen sharing with us. His, his son David was a superb hockey player up in Canada. I don't remember the league, but it was, it was I, think, I think he was in college at the time. But they were playing in a tournament in Rochester. And he said they won the first two games. It was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday tournament. And they just slaughtered their opponent on Friday and Saturday. And David just was getting his skates cleaned up, putting in, putting his equipment away, and his father was ready with him to go back to Toronto on Saturday night. He knew this is the Lord's day. I'm going to obey the Lord. And the coach begged him, we got to have David to win we got to have David to win. And Dr. McClellan said, Coach, you know what our convictions are. I don't know why he said this. He said, you're going to win anyway. And they did win anyway. But the point is, again, that it, it, it's, it's about God. It's about his desire and not ours. And if it's a challenge for us to keep the Sabbath holy because we, what we like to do, it just shows that much more of our love for the Lord that we're willing to give up something that may be challenging to us and hard for us to do, but the Lord is our God and our Savior. So I hope these, these uh, thoughts about why the Decalogue is duplicated has been helpful. May we meditate upon God's will for our life. May we memorize them. And actually, they're all abbreviated. Most of them are very short, right? Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery. 
so we can meditate on them, so we post them in our homes and in our churches. They're revelations of God's character. He's unique, he's holy, he's invisible. They're revelations of God's will to live a godly life. They're revelations of what Christ had to endure and what Christ had to keep under probation to earn a righteousness to credit to our account. May we teach them diligently unto our children as we see in chapter six and that they're in our hearts and that we, as he says, we'll we'll apply them to our hands and to our heads. The point is that they're part of us. They're God's words, that we incarnate them, that we converse about them when we sit, when we walk, when we lie down, when we rise up. We love the Lord and we love his law. We thank him that he delivered us from the land of Egypt, from the lowest hell. And these are his bill of rights and we respect them. And they're the bill of our rights and our neighbor's rights. So we love our neighbors ourselves. Amen. Our Father, we, we do need the wisdom of God and understanding and applying these truths, especially in a day, Lord, when your law is maligned and cast aside as archaic and as no longer viable. Oh Lord, we pray that we would love your word. We would submit to it. Lord, we are your creatures and we are those who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Your, these are your rights, Lord. And we pray that you would teach us the spirituality of your words. We pray, Lord, for a heart to love you, that our obedience would not be out of being robotic and cold-hearted and self-righteous. But Lord, that we would obey you because... You are our God and our Savior because we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lord, Jesus. Please give us a heart, Lord. Give us a heart as a church, as individuals, as families. We pray for the salvation of souls that they might know the beauty and the glory and the wonder of your words. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's close together by singing hymn number 469. Take time to be holy. 469.